Hi, this is Dr. Scott Hollenbeck. I'm an associate professor of plastic and reconstructive surgery, and I'm the director of breast cancer reconstruction here at Duke, and also the vice chief of the division for research. You are listening to Interview with the Surgeon with the Surgeon Agent. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we welcome Dr. Scott Hollenbeck, director of breast reconstruction at Duke. Doc, how are we doing today? Great, Matthew. Thanks for having me today. Really looking forward to talking to you. Thank you for being with us. So, you know, getting started, what were your goals and aspirations during your residency? Yeah, uh, it's been a process in, in evolution. Uh, I can tell you that. And, and my training was uh, first started in general surgery. And about my third or fourth year into that, I realized that I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Uh, that was due to my exposure to some uh, excellent surgeons that were doing breast cancer reconstruction. And so I felt at that point uh, that I wanted to do that. And I also had a strong interest in vascular surgery. And uh, because of that, I, I wished to pursue microvascular uh, breast reconstruction. Uh, in order to do that, I, I did go into plastic surgery. I did a residency uh, after general surgery here at Duke. Uh, and really enjoyed that and eventually stayed on here at Duke, uh, where I've been a faculty member now for uh, 10 years, and I'm an associate professor, also have research interests. So working in an academic center has allowed me to have both a clinical practice, uh, but also research and education, which are also important to me. So kind of taking us through that second uh, residency with plastic surgery, right? What was your mentality heading into your first job search? And how that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I think it's really unique for everybody. Um, we're all uh, in a different situation. We all have different skill sets and we all have different hopes in terms of where we want to end up, uh, whether it be academic or private or employed practice. Uh, also, there's a lot of variability as it relates to where in the country somebody might want to end up. Do they have a family member in California? Do they have some uh, a spouse that wants to live in New York, a variety of things play into that. Um, I would tell you probably the most uh, common thing I see, or, or at least has played into my interactions has been uh, somebody will wanna go to a place they've been before, either train there at some point, maybe it was medical school, maybe it was uh, one of the residencies, maybe it was fellowship. It is very common to see uh, somebody end up taking a job at a, at a place they worked uh, either uh, working at that time or in the past. And for me, that was in fact the case. Uh, I did accept a job here at Duke. Um, it wasn't uh, a guarantee. Uh, so I did have to pursue uh, the standard job approach. I did interview at a number of different other places uh, that were uh, offering positions at that time. Uh, and that actually helped, helped me negotiate my position here uh, as they found out and heard that I was interviewing at other places. It actually sped the process up a little bit and also allowed me to have some degree of leverage when it came to the negotiation for the job. So even if somebody tells you, hey, we got a job for you, I do recommend looking around, uh, getting some other offers, if at all possible, uh, so you can compare what you've been offered maybe at your home institution or a friendly place uh, with what's out there on the market. So that was real helpful for me. And at the end of the day, uh, this is where I wanted to stay, both for my family and my professional life. And so fortunately it worked out. I, I have had a lot of exposure with a lot of residents that have come through here. 
so I've been a part of their process. As I said, everybody's got a different situation, uh, but that was my story there. So throughout your career, did you ever consider going private practice or were you really academic focused all the way? Uh, I've been academic focused pretty much all the way. Um, I guess I enjoy aspects of, of academics that maybe are not as important in private practice. Uh, I mentioned research. I, I do have a research lab and partner with uh, some uh, research collaborators. That's really interesting to me. And from an intellectual standpoint, it's very stimulating. So I enjoy that. Uh, that's hard work, though. It does take away from uh, some other things, uh, primarily, uh, you know, off time or private time uh, with your family. It does uh, cut into your clinical workload uh, some. So uh, it's a give and take. But for me, I really enjoyed that. I also really enjoy education. Um, a big part of what I do here at Duke is teach residents how to do surgery, uh, teach residents how to care for patients, uh, but also medical students too. We have a, a very big medical school here, so we have a lot of students to come through. And uh, part of uh, what I do is to try to teach uh, research as well as uh, uh, clinical surgery. So thinking back, what would you say were some of the keys to your success that shaped your early career as you rise the ranks of the academic world? Yeah, uh, I think the, the probably the biggest key is getting good mentors. We hear that all the time, but it cannot be underemphasized. Um, and sometimes a, a good mentor uh, is not a good mentor at another time. Uh, for example, the, the person may have a great skill set and, and may be a great person to work with, but if they're at a, a, a point in their career where they're too busy, or they're at a point where they're about to move to a different location or a different hospital, uh, being a, a mentee for somebody like that can, can be less than effective. Um, so it's not as simple as just pick the most high profile person uh, with the biggest name and try to be friends with them and work in their lab or, or uh, try to shadow them. Uh, sometimes even those individuals can, can be overwhelmed and not be able to provide adequate mentorship. There is an advantage to, to having a mentor that's in the early part of their career many times those individuals have some time. They have energy. They've not had a lot of mentees in their career, and they actually are uh, really interested in trying to help and can bring a lot of energy to your, your focus and, and your career. They're also closer to you in terms of timing, and they, they know a little bit more about the environment of how to progress through the career. So at the end of the day, usually my recommendations are to have multiple uh, mentors that will help guide you through your career. Some that are the uh, so-called big names uh, at the top of the ladder, uh, but realize they're going to be very busy and have a lot of different people pulling on their time. Also have a mid-career person uh, as well as an early career person. And then even, even your peers can act as mentors uh, whether they're just a year or two ahead of you or even in your same year uh, can provide you useful insight. And then for me throughout my career, I've actually done the reverse where now that I've gotten farther along in my career, I actually enjoy hearing from my mentees and they inform me about important issues and what's going on and challenges that they face so that I don't become disconnected or, or lose uh, an idea of sort of the pulse of the, of the field. So uh, even as a mentor, you can benefit uh, from the, the mentor-mentee relationship. So that's been very important. Uh, also just being productive. 
at the end of the day, you're going to get hired based on the potential that you bring uh, for being productive. So uh, you have to be able to demonstrate productivity, whether it be through papers or volunteerism or uh, awards, things like that. Um, those are extremely effective and helpful. You add those to your CV, uh, possibly teaching classes and uh, helping out. Those things all can go on your CV and they, they are helpful uh, in terms of demonstrating your value that you bring. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to that. Uh, are you going to bring value to the group that's going to hire you? Uh, some, some people are excellent uh, at talking and have a great uh, communication skill set. If that's your strength, then you want to emphasize that. You want to try to meet with those people in person. You want to try to show them your communication skills. Um, if that's not your strength, then you want to emphasize the, the other things. Maybe you're an excellent researcher. Maybe you can write really well. So you may want to send them uh, emails. You may want to show them your uh, publications that you've done and, and other things like that. So emphasize your skill sets, bring value and use mentors to help guide you through the process. Now, as you help train the next generation, what advice do you have for the graduating chief residents and fellows entering the professional job market for the first time? Yeah, we, we talked about some of that in terms of how to prepare yourself. Uh, in terms of the market at whole, I think there's kind of three areas that I mentioned briefly. One is an academic, one is an employed practice, and the other is a private practice. Just briefly, you know, an employed practice is going to be um, a little bit of a blend between an academic and uh, private practice in the sense that you will have a large employer that will make a lot of the decisions for you about uh, where your office is going to be, what days you go to the operating room. That's kind of like an academic practice in some regards. Uh, but at the same time, your variety of which, which you'll uh, practice in, the types of cases are going to be all over the place in terms of an employed practice. So a lot of people find that very enjoyable, uh, whereas in an academic practice, you might have to develop a real specific niche and stick to that. Um, and in a private practice, you're going to take kind of whatever you can get. Um, and also, you have to keep your eye on the finances in the, in the private practice where an employed or academic practice, you don't really have to uh, focus so much on the, the financial aspects of your job. Um, in terms of the market, it seems to depend a lot on what's going on in the world. Uh, plastic surgery, uh, perhaps different than many other types of surgery, uh, is very much uh, dependent on the status of, of the uh, economic wellness of the, of the, the, the country as well as the general economy. So in times of recession, uh, I've noticed over the past uh, year and 10 years that in times of recession, it can be very difficult to find jobs, especially uh, set up in, setting up a private practice or joining a private practice can be very difficult. Um, also, institutions sometimes will go on hiring freezes um, but then uh, often uh, there's a rebound and, and there is space to, to get jobs and overall most people can find a job, uh, but it is very challenging to know which jobs are open. Where are these jobs? Uh, how do I find them? That's probably the, the number one challenge I see people facing. Now in 2020, we dealt with the pandemic and still the same thing, we're kind of doing it now in 2021. What advice do you have for the graduating class regarding their networking and outreaching process in a virtual world? 
Yeah, it's really tough to network in the virtual world. Um, there's so many uh, platforms that people are on, so many meetings that are virtual that it's really tough to make those connections. And, and I would say that that is in fact important, even if it's just five minutes of face-to-face uh, -face interaction at a meeting, uh, that is usually sufficient to um, then begin discussing uh, other opportunities like jobs and everything. And it's hard to make that jump uh, in the virtual environment. I don't know why, but it just doesn't seem like you make a strong enough connection virtually uh, to be able to talk about things like that and have the trust uh, that you might have when you're meeting with somebody face-to-face. -face. So uh, it's very challenging developing those relationships uh, through the virtual platforms. Um, but any, any opportunities you have to meet in person, I would definitely take, take those up. Any uh, meetings that begin to happen again that are in person, I would strongly encourage uh, residents to attend. Uh, it's been about a year or so uh, since any of us have been able to go to any national meetings or even regional meetings in most cases. So uh, those are critically important in my opinion in terms of getting jobs. Uh, the other is your mentors and mentees. And this is another reason to have a lot of mentors is that uh, they will make calls for you. And, and even if you yourself cannot develop that relationship with a, a potential uh, employer, your mentor may have that existing relationship with a potential employer and could speak on your behalf in a very candid way uh, that would allow the employer to feel comfortable with hiring you uh, you know, this is a good person. They show up, they do a good job. They've not had a lot of trouble. Um, those are things that people want to hear before they hire somebody. And that comes from uh, people that have worked with you. And many times your, your, your current uh, boss or your program director or your chief uh, in your program. So uh, in-person meetings are great. Uh, if you can't get to those, you're going to need to rely on your, uh, your mentors to reach out for you. Speaking about meetings and annual conferences, can you talk about your involvement with the American Society of Plastic Surgeons and also some initiatives that you're, you're really excited about? And also, what type of resources are you providing to the next generation of surgeons? Sure, yeah. Uh, my current position is Vice President of Education within ASPS, American Society of Plastic Surgeons. And it's a wonderful position that allows me to be involved in many things, including our annual meeting, PSTM. Uh, which will in fact uh, uh, hopefully happen in person in Atlanta this year uh, towards the end of October. So we're very excited about that. As I mentioned before, you know, it's a great opportunity to meet people in person. Uh, so that's one great meeting. We have just around the corner in a few weeks, we have the, uh, the virtual spring meeting, uh, which is a, a great educational opportunity to learn uh, both aesthetic breast and face uh, but also a, a chance to be involved. Uh, we did design the virtual meeting so that participants could be active in the, in the chat, possibly even ask questions and even present cases. So um, even though it's virtual, we're trying very hard to make that as interactive as possible. Uh, other things that have been going on in ASPS and I'm very excited about include a number of other programs. Uh, we have an excellent online educational platform uh, called EdNet. We're actually looking to revamp that to make it more modern and user-friendly, uh, similar to other platforms that you may be familiar with. 
for streaming services and things. Uh, that's really going to be a game changer for our online educational content. Uh, we have uh, really hundreds of videos of surgical procedures. We have lectures. We have a number of other courses, including ASPS University, uh, which is a program track you can actually sign up for and learn very specific topics. Uh, we also provide a, a resident education curriculum, which is a very comprehensive um, living uh, document, basically, of all these lectures about specific topics, and it's changed and updated on a yearly basis. That's really been one of the most exciting things uh, in ASPS that we provide through education. Um, and then on top of that, we have uh, virtual grand rounds, which occurs every month, which is a great chance to, to again, ask questions and engage with speakers. Um, we've also begun to look at how can we uh, help progress the medical students that are interested in plastic surgery. Uh, so we've begun to look at even some uh, medical student uh, platforms, medical student resources uh, that will allow them to get involved. But by far, the majority of our educational content are for ASPS members and, and also residents that are considering uh, a career in plastic surgery. It's a long journey. That's probably the bottom line. And, uh, you know, you need people to advocate for you. Uh, at all areas. Uh, you spend so much time focused on developing your skills uh, in the operating room, your research, and your papers uh, that uh, it's very hard to find the time to actually reach out and advocate on your behalf. Uh, so I think initiatives that help with that uh, are going to be very useful uh, both now and, and certainly going forward. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.